You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community, deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec slash lovealways. Welcome to the Sermons That Work podcast, featuring sermons written by some of the best preachers across the Episcopal Church. Today's sermon is for Holy Name Day and is titled The Semiotics of Jesus. The sermon was written by the Reverend Canon Anna Sutterish. We put a lot of weight on names. Think about the importance that is conveyed when we use our complete names, middles and hyphens and juniors and all, in a vow or an oath. Or the exciting rush when a host at a restaurant calls your name. Your table's ready. Or when you hear your name called in a meeting or classroom when you haven't been paying attention. When someone you love yells your name in desperation or frustration. When you hear your name from a huddled group and can only think the worst. When one assumes a new name after a transformation, like living into a true gender identity. A nickname, one that reminds of an inside joke, a good memory, or one that only one person or a few is allowed to use. Names carry power, emotion, and story. Names are not identity itself, but rather they reflect identity. It's the closest a limited language can get to describing a person, an object, or a feeling. A word is used as a vessel for the messy, complex, and contradictory. Ferdinand de Saussure, one of the founders of semiotics, used the terms signifier and signified to describe a sign. The plane of expression, signifier, which describes the plane of content, signified. It is interesting to think of a name as a sign, one with a signifier or expression of a signified or content. Today we note not only the beginning of a new Gregorian calendar, but the significance of the holy name of Christ. What happens when we apply the ideas of semiotics to this feast day, or to the holy name itself? Our collect of the day specifically identifies Jesus as a sign of our salvation. The signifier, Jesus, represents the signified, our salvation. The holy name we celebrate today isn't the five letters that make up the English translated word of the name which we call Christ on earth, Jesus, a name that tells its own story as an heir to the name of Joshua or Yeshua. Instead, we celebrate what the name represents, the implications of Christ's birth and identity, and that's beyond anything our language, or any sign indeed, can truly grasp. The name we use to describe the Holy One is a significant theme in many of our faith stories of origin. For example, in the story from Numbers, we find Moses and his community prepping for a journey. They've been camped out at Mount Sinai, remember the Ten Commandments and Golden Calf parts of the narrative, for about a year, and they're ready to travel, ready for the Promised Land. They know a lot of wilderness exists between Mount Sinai and the Promised Land. In the very human move of institutionalizing faith, Aaron has just been consecrated high priest, and he and his sons serve as the official representatives of the Lord. 
Meanwhile, Moses assumes the role of the personal representative of the Lord and receives a blessing to pass on to Aaron, to pass on to the people. Now, thousands of years of the game of telephone later, we receive the gift of this blessing for the Israelites through the passage in Numbers. It's a common benediction today for good reason. The blessing sets the tone for a faithful journey. This is a journey in which there will be struggles, frustration, and failed expectations, but God's presence as well. In gifting the blessing to Moses, the Lord says, So Aaron and the priests shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. The name of the Lord is not just a name, not just a word, but a signifier of blessing. The creator of the universe, the liberator of the Israelites, is with them through the wilderness, all through a name. Continuously in our faith stories, the name of the Lord is exalted, not because it's a beautiful name, which name shall we choose, but because of what it represents. How can we possibly use language to signify God? How could we find one word to describe the creation and destruction, mighty liberation and gentle comfort, anger and grace that is the power of the God of the universe? We are restricted to using a name or a handful of them. And whatever name we land on in a particular moment, the most suitable vessel for the concept, we exalt the name. The psalmist, using the word translated here as governor, contemplates the nature of God and repeats, How exalted is your name in all the world! This passage from Psalm 8 tries in itself to use poetry, language, words, and names to describe both the majesty of the universe and the role of a Messiah, the Son of Man. During Christmas and Advent, we use many names to describe the Son of Man, Christ himself, some of which hearken back to Isaiah's prophecy. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in the Gospel passage today, we get a glimpse of the naming ceremony for the infant Jesus. Remember, the angel has named Jesus since even before his conception at the Annunciation. And today, eight days after his birth, the community is celebrating Jesus' bris, or brit milah, a naming ceremony which includes the circumcision of the male infant. Luke is adamant about reminding us that Jesus was not Christian in the way we now use the term, but decidedly Jewish, and his family is observing the Torah rituals. As part of the naming ceremony, the male child is marked with circumcision, a ritual that signifies unity with God and acceptance into the community of the chosen people. The circumcision of Jesus and the inclusion of it in the Gospel of Luke both establish for the reader his Jewishness and teach us about the nature of Christ. Jesus was completely divine and so didn't need any ritual to bring him into unity with God. And Jesus was completely human and participated in human experiences. Jesus didn't need to be circumcised, didn't need to be hungry or thirsty or tempted or ridiculed. Jesus didn't need to die, but he did. Matthew Henry's Bible commentary, written in the 1700s, says that Jesus' circumcision was, in his case, a pledge of his future perfect obedience to the whole law, in the midst of sufferings and temptations, even unto death for us. When we invoke the name of Jesus, this is the concept that cannot be embodied by language alone that Jesus is one and the same with the creator of the universe, there since the beginning. And Jesus was born in a manger, not a throne, not even a clean, sweet-smelling place. He was visited by shepherds, neither distinguished nor so sweet-smelling. Lived a human life of diaper rash and body odor, pain and sorrow, thirst and hunger, frustration and argument, and yes, bad smells. And he was called Jesus. 
The name of Jesus perhaps reconciles, but more importantly, marries the two truths of Jesus's nature, fully divine, fully human. Years later, after the execution and resurrection of this divine and human man, St. Paul is trying to tell the story of Jesus to the new Christians in Philippi. He reminds them and us that even though Jesus was in the form of God, he chose to take the posture of humility. The posture of humanity, obedience, emptying of the self in generosity and sacrifice. It's the story, signified, that causes every knee to bend in loyalty and humility. The name is merely a sign, the sign that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus is powerful because of the story it invokes, just as your name and story are powerful too. You are more than the letters which make up your name, and you have the freedom to choose in what posture you write your story. How will you live through the struggles and suffering of human life? How might we assume the posture of humility, emptying ourselves, receiving radical grace and generosity in the way of Jesus. May we begin this year unified with the Creator through the Christ who saves, through the one we call Jesus. The Reverend Canon Anna Sutterish is the Canon for Christian Formation in the Diocese of Ohio, working with children, youth, and young adults, and serving as the chaplain at Bellwether Farm Camp. She is passionate about new ways of being and doing church and sharing the gospel in a way that is relevant and life-changing to today's people in today's world. Anna is a proud member of the inaugural class of the Bexley Seabury Seminary Federation and benefited greatly from its low residency program, which allowed her to receive her MDiv while remaining rooted in her ministry context of Cleveland, Ohio. She lives there with her husband Noah and two beloved cats, Phoebe and Thecla. Prior to seminary, Anna worked at the intersection of faith and politics through the IAF, doing interfaith community organizing. Sermons That Work is an offering of the Episcopal Church's Office of Communication. For more free resources, including sermons, Bible studies, bulletin inserts, and more, visit episcopalchurch.org sermons. We would love it if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And while you're at it, share it with a friend. 